Welcome to Off the Circle. It is time for our weekly podcast, and we're here with Arcos Advisors, David Graham and Diane Brown, to talk about culture. based entrepreneurs and business people learn from their experience and expertise and have some laughs along the way off the circle the indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before well welcome diane and david uh share with us just briefly who you are and what you do well thanks harry and thank you both for having us here on the uh, podcast today we are with Arcos Advisors, as you said, and I think I'll start by just explaining the name because we get a lot of questions about what does Arcos mean? And it's Latin for leader. And what we do is we really work with leaders in their organizations and empower them to not only grow their organizations, but build their teams at the same time. And uh, we've done that for about 17 years and in the Indianapolis area, but also across North America. And we really enjoy uh, the work that we do with people and um, in the areas of culture, change, and growth. David, how about you? Well, I mean, um, same story as Diane, but I've been uh, in Indianapolis uh, since the uh, early 90s, went to IU, and um, worked in some large organizations, worked for National City Bank, a large bank, PNC Bank, so a lot of time in financial services. But a lot of my time there was uh, leading teams, building organizations, coaching and developing people. And so that's really where my passion is, and that's what draws me to this work, and culture is certainly a, a big facet of that, and so it's something we enjoy a lot. Well, you know, culture is a word that uh, I don't think I heard much um, maybe 10 years ago, but I, I hear it uh, pretty frequently now. How, how would you define culture? Yeah, Diane, how would you define culture? <laughs> I think it's a great question. Um, and it's interesting because, again, it's another question that we get a lot when we work with organizations. And, and there is a dictionary definition that say it's, it says it's knowledge and values shared by a society. And if you apply that to work and you really think about how that manifests itself, it's really, you know, how do we live with each other in the corporate environment every day from how do we treat each other to what are our values and what are our beliefs and how are we showing up with those and, and bringing them into play. So not just as a coworker, but also as a manager and a leader in the organization. So, so that's the way we think about culture is kind of how do we live here every day with each other. Well, I'll share with you my secret. So as a consultant, uh, when I go into a client's office, one of the things I, I like to do is go to the break room and yes. just poke around the break room. Yeah. And it tells <laughs> me a lot about the cult, corporate culture. And, and so there's a category of companies um, that fit into one category for me if they've got you know, multiple signs up that talk about, hey, this, your mother doesn't work here, do you? You know, and, you know, if, if you leave your stuff in here one second longer than after yeah. this date and, you know, all of these rules, it yeah. looks like, you know, you've walked into the BMV or something like Clean that. Clean right. the microwave after yes. each use. I, right. I'm with you. Many, many years ago, I, I worked, uh, I was, uh, I, I'm, I, I can't even go close to saying who I was working for, but I was working for an organization and we went out and visited a client site and I had to use a restroom. And in the restroom, there was a sign that said, please do not use too much toilet paper. 
<laughs> and I and I thought I don't know what the definition of yeah. that is. But <laughs> you have to ask. Yeah, it's too much. You'll know it when you see it. <laughs> that's that's a really <laughs> they're really tightening down the hatches in this place. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Wow. Well, um, so you know, given the fact that it is something that we've begun speaking about only more recently, do you think it's just a fad? Are we going to kind of go back to um, it kind of fading into the background? Uh, that's a great question and, and um, kind of a long answer. I hope you'll, you'll bear with me, but I see portions of culture being a fad. And, and what I mean by that is, ping pong tables and pancake day and bean bags and on and on like these little foosball perks. tables, foosball yeah, tables exactly. and bourbon wall and you know we're out okay. we're done it's over wow. yeah. <laughs> that's one that i out. actually could get behind but um <laughs> amen but you've seen the movie like what's the movie the internship right uh, vince vaughn and yeah. they try to get yeah. google and you yeah. see all the cool perks I think there are elements to culture uh this focus on culture and engagement and i'll talk about engagement in a minute that's a fad um, there's nothing wrong with those perks. Uh, they're kind of cool. Uh, companies that have them, I can admire them, and, and there's not, you know, they don't get in the way, but they kind of fall short. They don't really address the underlying factors that drive engagement and make really great cultures. <clears throat> I'm not saying companies shouldn't invest in them, but I do believe there's kind of a faddish uh, attribute to that. Mm-hmm. And so, so let me just interrupt. Yeah. Do, you, do you think it... Is uh, people missing what's the cause and what's the effect? Do you think that maybe it's when you see that stuff at a good company, it, it has to do with the effect and other people think they can have a good culture by <laughs> putting yeah. that in? I think in some ways it's, it's, a, it's a perceived shortcut to have what you would think is a robust culture, um, but it's really a placebo in my opinion. So for us, there's a science behind culture. And, and um, you know, we work very closely with Gallup and we follow their research and they've been focusing on engagement and culture since the 90s. And they've really built the science behind it. And, and what they would say, kind of this Google effect, if you will, of, of the perks is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with those things. But there's no evidence that says that investment in those uh, uh, perks uh, basically equate to stronger cultures or higher levels of employee engagement. There's not necessarily any correlation. Nice. That the, the things that correlate to strong levels of engagement and robust cultures um, um, are deeper than that, harder to get at. And so they've sort of built the science around that. And we subscribe to a lot of their thinking. We, we do a lot of reading, but Gallup is the one that has applied it in the workplace. And that's why it appeals to us, right? Our firm as consultants is tools that we can help someone else drive performance with. I was worried about this podcast to coming in here and, 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 I'll, t- and I'll tell you why is because I worked for several large organizations and towards the end of my corporate career, I started to hear the term culture popped in all over yeah. the place and, and, I, and it was really starting to annoy me. And the reason why was uh, because it was used as an ad, you know, as a, as a way to lead people into the organization but it wasn't defined and it wasn't an actual culture. It was just right. how we worked. Yes. It wasn't, it, right. wasn't, it wasn't something that the top down, like I loved your definition, knowledge and- And values. And values. Shared by society. You know, I, I love that. And so, I, you know, I'll talk, I can talk, you know, a little bit about the company. When it was first started up, 
uh, all of the employees had kind of autonomy. And so because there was so much work to do and it was such a rapid pace, we all were trusted and we all, you know, and, and so that was called our culture, yeah. right? We had autonomy right. and everything right. else. But when the company tripled and quadrupled in size, all of a sudden the, the trust and autonomy wasn't there. All of a sudden there was a little bit more silos, mm -hmm. a lot more process, double checking, trust, uh, meetings to cover butts, you know, everything else. And so, but they still kept saying, well, we have a incredible culture here. And I'm like, right. well, we had an incredible culture here, yeah. you know, but, but now it's starting to, to definitely fade away. And I, and I, and so I loved what you were saying there. There's not, I don't even know that there's a question here, but I loved what you're saying there because I, I feel like a lot of companies talk about it and use it as a way to lure people in and it doesn't really exist. Yeah. It's just the right. way it, maybe it's a fun place to work. Right. Maybe it's a, maybe it's even a great environment, yeah. but that doesn't, to me, that doesn't speak knowledge and, and values. Right. And I would add something to it because you, you mentioned something that's really critical. So one of the things that we talk about is really growing well. And so what we notice with a lot of organizations is when they start uh, in the beginning, they do have a culture that's them, that is who they are. But as they grow rapidly over time, they kind of lose touch with that. And we've, yeah. we've either been part of those organizations or we've seen that. And so what's really important about culture is that you, first of all, you understand and know what that is to begin with, but then you're very proactive in how do we smartly continue to cultivate that co culture over time so that it supports our growth and it really girds us up in those times where we're gonna run into challenges and things like that, but we're really saving what is the best of us. And so, so we, we have a tagline that we use called grow well, go far. And, and that's all part of it. It's how can we help you grow um, in a smart way so that you can go as far as you wanna go. Doug, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that perhaps your, uh, your thinking about culture and your experience of it is colored by your years in the Navy. So I'm picturing, you know, having, you know, that that... There's definitely a culture there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but do you, in your experience, I mean, does that, uh, you think that makes a difference in how you evaluate and, and view things, that very strong culture that... Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I would, I would say this, and that's that starting in the Navy was probably uh, just an incredible, honestly, a gift for me, and that's that you're you're a city on a floating piece of metal out in the middle of nowhere. And so there's nobody to call. There's no store to go to. There's no emergency line. There's no, you know, you're the firefighter. You're the, you know, the ER tech. You're the electrician. You're the mechanic. You're the shop. You know, you're, you're everything. And, and so, so one of the interesting things is that you're, you're so interdependent on each other to make things work that, um, uh, you know, people think that the military is all about discipline and order and everything else. It's actually not. It's about real dependence on the person next to you, that you have to depend on that person next to you. And so the, what I, what, when I came out of the Navy and entered the corporate world, I was, that's where the shock happened because all of a sudden there wasn't interdependency. There was politics and there was, 
Um, I, I remember I tell people this, uh, the guy's probably, you know, long time retired and, and gone, but, um, you know, one of my first weeks on the job, he took me aside. He said, buddy, you got to slow down. <laughs> he said, you're, you're making us all look bad, you know? And, you're and I, too hard. and I didn't even feel like I was working hard. I was just at my speed, you know? And, uh, and so it was a weird collision there. And then I went to another corporation, another corporation. And then I went to my first startup. And when I went to my first startup, I felt like I was right back on that boat, you know, that we were interdependent. And, and now we, we had to, if somebody was falling down, we either picked them up or threw them overboard, you know, <laughs> one, or one or the other, you know, and because our, our futures depended on it. And so, yeah, I think it had an incredible you know, an incredible impact on what, how I enjoyed working with other people. So my question to you, uh, you two, you've worked for many years and you've done this. What is your favorite vertical to work in? What, like when the phone rings and they, you, they say, we are blah, blah, blah from, you know, blah, blah, blah. You just go, yes, I love working with these type of companies. That is very fascinating. I'll let you go first. Oh, I'm, I'm I want guess. both. I want both. I know. Oh, I know. Okay. I was gonna let I'm Diane. guessing something okay. with a lot of compliance. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, our backgrounds would suggest that. Yeah. Yes. But I think our yes. preference would suggest otherwise. And so, um, you know, for me, what do I? It's it's a company that is growing fast, mm -hmm. that has a lot of dynamic parts to uh, uh, what they're doing. Um, I, I want to say it could be like a technology company, but it doesn't have to be a technology company. We see a lot of fast-growing companies that aren't technology, but there's a certain uh, dynamic element to a culture of a company that's on the upswing. Mm -hmm. Exciting, fun, everybody's yeah. energized, and they're very intentional about creating a culture. And so when we get those, uh, what we can kind of almost always know on the other end is going to be a lot of people who are really excited and enthusiastic about sort of the tools we can deliver. I, I liked your word intentful there because that's 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 where I was going to go with the next question was, you know, it, it sounds like if, if a company truly wants to create a, you know, culture, just not talk about it, that you do have to be intentful in designing it, right? And, and so I'm curious, uh, maybe you can give an example of, of a company that, um, you know, they sat down and really said, we want to be this type of company. We want to have these values. How did they take that from an idea or, or, you know, uh, you know, a strategy and actually implement what, what were the thing, what are the types of things that they implemented to absolutely support that and then push the company in that direction? Well, I can think of one uh, instance in that there were, um, there was a company that, uh, the, I'll use an example of a company that I was a part of, okay, that doubled in size in the, in the time that I was there. Uh, we grew very rapidly, but we recognized, you know what, some of those bedrock items um, are of our culture to begin with, how we care about each other, how we, we want to strive to be the best in, in our industries, how we want to seize opportunities of change. Some of those had started to erode over time. So, so what we did, and this is similar to like what we do with other organizations, one was, again, make sure that, that everybody understood what are those underpinning beliefs, values, those things that guide us around here. Um, and then we wove those into the fabric of every part of the firm. And um, so that included, 
considering how are we looking for some of these things in selection? What are the attributes we're looking for in the people that are joining us? And um, then from there, how are we setting expectations with folks? How are we onboarding them? How are we bringing them into the culture so they really understand it and they can feel aligned and they have that line of sight? So we've really worked on the piece of expectations. Then um, we had embedded uh, in that firm and, and in firms we work with, so I'm, I'm talking about kind of an ecosystem here of the yeah. pieces and parts that you're talking about. Um, we worked a lot on coaching. So how are we going to connect? How are we going to provide a strategic connection between each individual and the organization? So they don't feel like they're lost, but they have somebody to go to. They have somebody to talk to about development. And also we're working with them to say, hey, what are your strengths and talents and how can we bring the best of you? But then also have accountability. And, and I know that sometimes that can be you know, viewed as a bad word or in, in fast growing organizations, all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have to rein people in and have compliance. But there is, is an important role for accountability. And so how do we weave that in in the right way uh, with folks through progress reviews, but also, um, you know, kind of goals and, and making sure that we're measuring things. Uh, and then all of that is encompassed by engagement. So how are we over time, you know, what process are we using to really measure um, engagement and take the pulse of what's going on here so that we know that our people are feeling connected, uh, but not, not just connected, but they feel deeply a part of what we're trying to do and that we're tapping into that emotional reservoir that they yeah. have that brings the best of them to work. So it almost sounds like culture could be a top-down KPI that filters all through the organization, you know, that you've got a key performance indicator for every person on every level, you know, to support what you're doing and then measure, obviously, whether people are or not. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, and I think like like of like this, um, the whole faddish part of culture is we want it to feel good. We want to use it as a, as a tool for attraction to bring people into the organization. But if you're an organizational leader, you've also got to get results. Yeah. And so what you really want to do is intentionally build a culture that can sustain results, that can allow people to, 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 to bring their best. There's sort of, you know, what Gallup would say to us and, and we would say to clients is there's this unwritten contract between employee and employer. And it's sort of values-based. If you do these things for me, I'll give you my best. If you don't, I may reserve my best for things outside of work. I'll still show up on time. Right. And I'll still put in my eight hours. But when things are up against it, you won't get the best of me. When someone's truly engaged and the culture is right, you get that extra 110%, you know, probably a bad cliche, but you do get it. Right. And they can sustain it because they're invested in the organization, they have a sense of ownership. That looks really different than, say, satisfaction. So we, we laughed about the ping pong tables and the bean bags and all that pancake day. Uh, but the thing about all those is, is those generally drive satisfaction. But there's a big difference between satisfaction and engagement, okay? Satisfaction is, it sort of, it sort of describes like my relationship with the company. I'm satisfied, I'm happy, I'm okay. Not necessarily gonna quit, not necessarily gonna stay. Engagement is I have a sense of ownership. I display an ownership mentality and and there's a lot of positives that go along with that. And so we want to get that. We also want to measure it though to see are we doing the right things, right? Are we doing the right activities to generate that? And so that takes time. Like you can't do that in a year, right? You could start in a year, but you can't accomplish that in a year. 
it, it's it's a longer process. I have uh, I have two follow up questions. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so the first one is uh, I I I there's got to be some horror stories out there where you've walked into a leadership team and the leadership team said we have such an incredible culture here mm-hmm. it's beautiful it's fantastic and then you did the survey on the employees and it was you know it was you know these people felt like they were chained to their desks and and hated coming to work every day um has, like no never happened <laughs> <Never>. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe it's happened once or twice. <laughs> yes. So sometimes there's that it, almost a confirmation bias that, oh, of course we're great people and we're trying yes. to help our employees and the employees think totally the opposite. Right. Yeah. 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 Sometimes we do find ourselves in that um, precarious position of yeah. being in between where we're mm-hmm. talking about cultures with the leadership and they have a totally different vision of what's really happening in the trenches. And so um, that can be a challenge in really having them to be open to that feedback and be open to, wow, it's really not like, I'm thinking really. like office space right now. I'm a yeah. people yes. person. Yes, <laughs> that's right, exactly. Well, I, I think, you know, it's, what we're describing here doesn't come as a surprise to me because it, if the leadership is kind of has distanced themselves they stay in their office heads down you know don't form deep relationships they don't know and that is the cause in part of the poor culture the disconnect absolutely which which is a great lead-in that's that's my next question is um there's obviously some statistics to go along with um a company that's doing it well, a company that has a great culture, it's it's top to bottom, you know, really felt through the organization. What are the what are the efficiencies that, you know, companies like that? I mean, is it, you know, you can absolutely see it in profit or you see it in, you know, obviously less employee turnover and things yeah. like that. You know, what are, how does it how does it manifest itself when it when it's right? When you do it right, yeah. right. And so, and we would call that a, a highly engaged organization, right? So, or here's what the research says, and, and Gallup's been studying this since the late '90s. Um, you don't hear about it a lot because most of their focus is on Fortune 500 companies, and they don't generally market, you know, broadly in the public. That's been their focus. And in the last few years, they've started to allow consultants like us to go and deliver some of their resources. But, but they've linked high levels of engagement to very significant outcomes. So, so organizations with high levels of engagement generally have about 50% or 59% actually less turnover. Wow. Okay, than levels, than low levels. So yeah. that's the top quartile of their database versus the bottom. And by the way, there's about 35 million surveys in the database. So yeah. it's, it's not like a presidential poll, we surveyed 1200 people right. and here's what the world thinks. Right. It's 33 million data points. Um, but, but there's other things. So, so absenteeism is huge. Turnover is huge. So absenteeism is lower. Turnover is lower. Um, customer metrics, almost any way you measure customer engagement or satisfaction is about 10% higher. And you can think about that in your own experiences when you deal with an organization and engage an employee. Like that experience is different, yeah. right? We're so used to being the mediocre thing, right? But but it's so different. When well, maybe you, really, you, not me. I'm, well, I'm, for me, I'm not mediocre. But when, yeah. but when no. I run into a mediocre customer service situation, I, I kind of like program to accept it. Yeah, and I should. Yeah, you're right. But yeah. but we do right, and and so, um, but it goes deeper. So then there is it's 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 basically productivity and profitability. 
So highly engaged teams, about 17% more productive. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a massive lift. And, and the reason that happens, like what, you know, you start to think, why could that happen? It happens because if people are unlocking their potential to give their best, their best energy for the organization, they don't reserve it outside. The more people you can pull into that camp, you can start to see how that creates a virtuous cycle. Yeah. So there, there's, there's other outcomes, but those are the big ones. Do, has Gallup segmented, you know, that Fortune 500 and said, you know, this percent are highly engaged companies? Yeah, you know? so they, they survey the workforce. And so they have three categories of employees and they survey the workforce in general. And they've literally done companies anywhere from, you know, uh, a heavily industrial manufacturing environment to, you know, professional services firm to a hospital. Firms like Deloitte and KPMG and others use these types of tools, Microsoft, Google. Yeah. Um, um, but, but basically what they found is in the U.S., about 33% of employees are engaged at work, okay? They have that ownership mentality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's that saying? 67% yeah. aren't. <laughs> think, of, think of what we're leaving on the table, Yeah. right? Uh, and so there's some thought about you wanna, if you want to spur a productivity, another productivity revolution, right? Um, Maybe it's not going to be technology. Maybe we've, you know, not that it's not going to continue to grow, but we've gotten so much out of it in the last decade. Where's the next revolution in productivity come from? It come, could come from people. Well, and I, I think we're going to uncover it, right? Yeah, you it's know, coming really fast. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, and the millennials yeah. are going to force us to yeah. in well, some ways. I look but. at things like the gig economy and blockchain yes, and things like absolutely. that where where we're going to be able to finitely measure the productivity yeah. of every employee. And, and I think leaders are going to be aghast that that employees are working at 10%, yeah. 15% productivity. And, and it's, and it's not their fault. That's not a, that's not a, you know, uh, mention of that. My, my, my late dad, he was a productivity engineer, he used to go into factories and help them increase their productivity. And, and he would, the, the, invariably they would have people that were working per hour and they would put together X pieces per hour. So they would put together three connectors per hour, you know, and they would get paid whatever, $12 an hour, $15 an hour. And my, my dad would go to the leadership and say, let's make it piecework so that they get paid per piece. And, um, and so right now they're doing three per hour, $15. So that's $5 a piece. And my dad would say, let's give them 50 cents a piece. And the leadership would go, what, are you crazy? You know, and, and my dad would say, just trust me, just trust me, you know, let's make it 50 cents a piece. And then, and then within three months, the leaders would be going, we've got people making $60 an hour. Yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right, yeah. And my dad would go, oh my God, you, you yeah. just don't get it. And it was no. because, you know, once, once it was up to the employee yeah. to, to, you know, really reward themselves uh -huh. for their speed and effort and quality, they did. And they went to maximum productivity. And, and it was always an eye opener, you know, mm -hmm. for the organization that the difference, that difference was huge, you know? Right, yeah. right. And, and I want to connect that back to, to something that you talked about earlier, because you said, you know, you talked there about the role of the employee right there and driving their own productivity. And so when we, you know, earlier you said you connected culture to um, top-down KPIs. Yeah. And so when we work with organizations um, around culture, 
we do look for leadership, one, to be absolutely involved and kind of provide us the frame and their value system and the beliefs they want to work in. But when we get to the level of engagement, that's where we start to make it bottom up because we really have to connect with the employees and say, what's going to make a difference for you and tease out those things that are, you know, satisfaction oriented, like we've talked about earlier and more like what's going to tap into your intrinsic motivation. That's really going to help you go above and beyond and provide that discretionary effort. So that's where those two things come to, to together to yeah. really be build a healthy culture. I guess quantitatively, that's the majority of your company. Yeah, right? absolutely. Is so, you know, changing it at the top isn't going to work, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. unless the bottom is bought in. Yeah. So, and, and that's what we, you know, what we've learned over the years is the most important person in that equation is the manager, yep. right? You hear it all the time. People join companies because of the cool mission statements and the neat offices and the perks and the, you know, cool backpacks and whatever right? yeah. benefits. Mm-hmm. They leave companies because they don't get along or they're not motivated by the manager, yeah. the person they work for every single day. And that person is the single most pivotal pivotal person in the organization because the force multiplication of what they can do in a positive way or what they can uh, slow down in a, in a, in a negative way. Yep. And so we focus a lot of time on what are the actions that the best managers take and we teach them how to do that. And again, they don't all learn that immediately. It takes time. It's not like a one day, you know, placebo shot or whatever, and you're all better. You've got to work on that. I'd like to go back to employee selection. We um, kind of spoke about that, and I'll um, give you a little background for my question. Um, I'm fascinated by the Ritz-Carlton story, and... uh, so I've done a lot of personal research on the Ritz, and uh, there's a classic article called My Week as a Room Service Waiter at the Ritz, written by a uh, uh, Harvard Business Review mm-hmm. um, professor. And so he, he is, uh, so he took a job at the Ritz. They knew who he was. He was going to write this article. And he spent, uh, you know, two weeks in training, two weeks on the job. So he was there about a month. And and after he'd been on the job, uh, he, you know, was asking about their selection process, found out they had an assessment. So he he took the assessment and he failed. (laughs) He did not not make the cut. Uh, And that is always kind of fascinated me uh, i mean it was a great article and he you know l- learned a lot but he was humbled he didn't make the cut and um so i'm i'm really interested in this whole employee selection thing maybe share with us how you know is success how heavily is success weighted to just choosing the right employees yeah. I'll, I'll let you do that oh sure okay um I would say there is a heavy weight on you know choosing the right people and and choosing people who fit well with your organization. Now, what's interesting about that? So I grew up in the professional services environment, CPA by accounting trade here, um, and in that environment, uh, the selection process. If I just go back to what we did in the '80s, um, you always looked at the people with the highest grades. You always looked at the people with all the leadership roles. You always, I mean, there was a very specific 
cut process that you went through to surf the resumes. Nothing wrong with that. You have to have people who are technically sound. But what we find kind of makes the most difference um, for employees is fit for values. So do they fit? Will they be a fit in your culture? As well as looking at what are the attributes that really drive their achievement motivation? So can you see things in their background that are more um, subtle, that it's harder, you have to dig for them a little bit. Um, so, and, and I'll use an example. I love Butler basketball too, by the way. So I'll use Butler basketball, but it's interesting. I uh, am from Brownsburg. So Gordon Hayward came from our high school and went to play for Butler. And when Brad Stevens was there and he talked with the basketball program out at Brownsburg about how he selects players, you know, one of the things that he would look for is what players have been in a position to actually win a game. Now, whether they won or not, you know, what did they do in that moment in time? Did they want the basketball? How did they execute? How did they communicate? And those are the types of attributes that you really kind of have to dig for. If you know your environment, you know your culture, if you can find that in even some of the technical stuff, I mean, you, you need a threshold level of technical capability for the role that you're, that you have, but sometimes uh, what we find makes the most difference is really looking for the attitude and the attributes that are going to make someone successful in your environment. And a lot of times companies don't slow down enough to kind of define that. And so they just look for somebody who, yeah, this person's going to technically fit in this role, but they don't look beyond the, the surface level. Is that becoming more and more of a challenge for companies with the younger workforce coming in? Um, not to, you know, I, we always hate to, you know, to generalize about millennials, but we've made them. Now yeah. we've now we've got to you know work with them. Uh, what are the hardest things that you're seeing with you know regarding millennials? Like, is a job turnover faster? Is it the satisfaction's harder to find? You're not <laughs> you're yeah, nodding at all. Right, all right, the above. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all the above. Okay. Well, I, I would say this, and, and um, we'll talk big picture, and I want to mm. get down to your specifics. But if you think about it like this, right now I think the millennials are about 38% of the workforce. And that's the biggest generation in the workforce today. And in five years, they're going to be 65%. Right? So regardless of the stereotypes or what you believe, if you're running a company, you've got to get at peace with this and you've got to find a way to be a magnet to, to attract them, right? And here's the thing about them, with all the stuff that's said, which I mostly don't buy. Yes, um, yeah, <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, exactly. There's this whole transition in the workforce and the millennials are like leading the charge, mm -hmm. but the rest of the generations are right behind them. So there's this transition from paycheck to purpose. It used to be like, hey, you come to work, you got a paycheck, shut up and enjoy it, right? Be thankful. The millennials said no. That's not enough for us. We want a purpose. Mm -hmm. And that purpose, like, you know, we listened to one of the other podcasts, um, culture of the culture of good, right? Mm -hmm. that, that whole idea of a purpose inside of an organization that transcends, right? Um, millennials uh, aren't willing to not have that in many cases. They demand it. And they're more likely just to jump ship if they can't find it. So it's paycheck to purpose. I'll tell you what else, though. They're very intensely interested in their own professional development. So they want an organization that doesn't assign them a boss as a manager. They want an organization that assigns them a coach, someone who will grow and develop them, help them see their own potential and meet it. And so you hear all this, oh, they don't like accountability. That's not true. Uh, the research says they want accountability. They just want it equally applied. What they won't stand for is uh, we don't hold Harry accountable, but, 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 we, but we hold Diane accountable. 
Like they find that as patently unfair. So there's this whole transition and the millennials are outspoken about it. And I think they have a lot, they're not afraid to switch. But when you start looking at the research, they're not the only ones that feel that way. The whole workforce feels like they'd rather have a purpose at work than just a paycheck, right? A higher calling. And that doesn't have to be eliminating hunger or curing disease. It could be as simple as, hey, we help people, you know, achieve their business goals, right? We help companies run better so they can have, you know, better employees and have better families and, you know, provide a great service. I mean, it doesn't have to be this world-changing thing. But the person at every level needs to connect. So there's this old fable, I'll share it and and I'll I'll let Diane speak, but but it's a story about um they talk about John Kennedy, he goes down to Cape Canaveral right when NASA was getting off the ground. And so this was new. NASA was obviously hugely impactful. He's walking around. He sees a guy with a broom and he says, uh, sir, tell me about uh, what you do here at NASA. He said, Mr. President, what I do here at NASA is I'm helping to put a man on the moon. Yeah. Okay. Now you want to talk about purpose, right? You, the best organizations let every person in the organization understand what their contribution is to that. Shame on you if you don't. Right? That's awesome. Everybody has a contribution. On the, uh, I always got to go negative. I, I keep going negative this whole time, but it, it is fascinating to me. On the negative side, uh, what happens when you bring a person, you know, you were talking about recruitment and how important that factor is. Well, we all know as leaders that when you bring the wrong person in, it, it not only can, it's not just applicable to that person's experience there, it can it's like a disease that can literally destroy the entire culture right yeah it absolutely can and unfortunately we see this a lot um from a couple of fronts one that you've got a wrong person in a wrong role wrong fit and so they develop negativity and that's what you're talking about that's that can be insidious very contagious and not only can it be contagious then your high performers are you know exposed to that and and say okay i I don't understand why management's not doing something about this you know it's affecting me every day it's affecting our team and so the lack of action on behalf of uh, management can really start to tear people down but the other thing that we see a lot is just a recognition that there isn't a great fit or it's not working but you know we really need someone in that role and we have to you know so the tolerance for mediocrity and then again what that does is sort of drags down the engagement and morale of the whole team because they don't feel like you know you said it in the navy you knew somebody had your back there was always going to be that interdependence and when you have somebody like that on your team and and they're just sort of you know allowed to be that way then you're like I'm not sure that person would ever have my back. I've, and it's I've, really challenging. I've seen it where they've brought the superstar in. Mm-hmm. So that person came from a really terrible culture. Maybe it was yeah. a backbiting, you know, drama filled, mm-hmm. you know, place where this, this, you know, this lady or this guy was great at slaughtering the dragon, you know, kind of oh, thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and so they're like, oh my God, this person crushed it in our, at our competitor. Yeah. You know, let's bring him into our organization. And right. And they bring him in and all of a sudden things start to self-destruct, but right. 
they they go yeah but they were so great let's yeah. let's let them yeah let them go for let's a while just, yeah you know? give them a little more time yeah and meanwhile you have turnover and everything right. else because of that yeah you know? and you end up having turnover with the people that you didn't want to turn yeah, over right. because of all those things Not that we that talked that about happened to me yeah <laughs> <laughs> We should invite you back just to listen to Doug's story. Yeah. <laughs> I would, well, I we'll would. bring a psychologist. With. I would actually love that. Yeah, we'll turn the tables. We'll start I, actually I was, asking I, you questions. I was truly blessed. I, I, was, I, I tell people this story often that um, when I got out of the Navy, I, I didn't do what other guys. I went and worked at the shipyards for two weeks, and I said, oh, my God, no way. You know, and it was just it was uh, an environment where just, you know, you did two hours of work in a 10-hour day and got paid over time and it was terrible i didn't go to home feeling like i was contributing and so i i got a job at a, a company landmark communications and um quickly you know quickly got a supervisor job as soon as i got a supervisor job the the gentleman there his name was frank batten senior nobody knows about this guy but he he was he owned the weather channel and you know and everything else um his rule at landmark was if you manage people you go through executive training and so at like 26 years old, I got to go through HR, targeted selection, behavior, to, uh, continuous improvement, um, you know, uh, you name it, you know, I, I went through it. And it was, and um, I wasn't, I still wasn't a great manager just because I didn't have the experience and leadership at that time. But now years later, you know, all those lessons just keep just keep popping back up and so that's why i can have an engaged conversation about this yeah. is just because it ruined me for life honestly yes. because when i went to my next company that didn't have that leadership right i was just like what do you i, I remember the last the last time that i quit <laughs> at a company yeah. i won't mention the company i i gave the person here's how you need to fire me if you're going to fire me like let's have this conversation right. we're adults we're yeah you know let's let's yeah <laughs> and the person across from me was going are you really lecturing me on how to yes yes, yes. i absolutely That's am going to help you through this so I, doug i i think that uh, david and diane would enjoy hearing one of your stories so i i'd like you to tell the story so doug's doug is actually in a book of um where they tell stories of ideas surfaced by employees that went, you know, oh, super yeah, duper. Yeah. And and the company said, Oh no, this will never work. Stupid idea. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. tell tell that story. I was so proud of this project <laughs> that I actually when this book came up, I said, Oh, I'm totally putting this in this book so that it's documented that I had the idea. But uh, I was working in a newspaper. Uh, newspaper one of the one of the one of the areas of focus at the time was classifieds you know of course they're long since dead now but but one of the areas of classifieds that was still alive while ebay was eating the lunch of us and everything else was garage sales you still went to the newspaper to see where the garage sales were and so um so my idea was i brought it to to my boss who was a vp incredible guy there uh, was look, what if, we, what if we gave people an online mapper of garage sales? So if I, if I said antique, it would show you, here's your route, right? And then not only would it show you your route, but we could get the advertisers to say, stop here for lunch, you know, $10 off or whatever. Well, back in that day, a system like that would have been easily 50 to $100,000, right? And so he said, uh, 
he said, oh my God, this would be incredible if we could do this. He goes, but, um, you know, see who we can find. So I called up some friends in the industry and one of my friends said, man, we'd love to build this and resell it to all the newspapers. We'll do it for $5,000. And so I said, oh man, this is incredible, 5,000 bucks. And so we put all the paperwork together, everything else, and corporate turned it down. Oh. <laughs> wow. what, what is the name of the book? That is? I, I forget what it's called. I, I, oh it's, it's, it's something like, you know, killed, killed ideas, I think, or something like that. And so I, I read online that someone was writing this and I said, I have to write this just so that it's, yeah. someone has it somewhere, yes, you know, and- uh, So what, what did that do to your spirits? Oh, it was, yeah. it was- Stomp on them. I, I mean, the, the, it was, I was working at a newspaper and I knew, you know, it was, uh, a lot of it was like working on, I, it was like, I would tell people, it was like being the musician on the Titanic. Uh -huh. You know, you just, you know, the ship's going down, yeah. but you know, just keep playing, just keep you know, playing. That's right. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, maybe, maybe I'll make it into a lifeboat. Maybe I won't, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and so I, it, you know, it drove me crazy that I, I, <laughs> I was part of this organization where the people were incredible because the ship's going down and they, everybody knows the ship's going down. We're all looking out for each other. We're all working our butts off, you know, trying not to get, you know, fired or anything, but it was the, the I was like, okay, writing's on the wall. I need I need <laughs> to get out of here. Yeah, time to get out of here. So, so <laughs> David and Diane, what's your reaction to that story? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how bad that one was. The 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 weekend before I was fired, I was fired. <laughs> the weekend before I was fired, I packed my office and, oh my and brought everything home. And so the funny thing was, HR called me on Monday. They said, hey. uh, did you like move out? And I said, ah, just brought my stuff home, you know? And they were like, Spruce it up a they were like, what are you, what are you, are you coming back to work? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I'm coming back. And they said, okay, well, can we see you on Monday morning? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. And so then the funny thing was I walk in and the security guard is in the elevator next to me. And it, I knew his name. It was like Dave yeah. or something. I was like, so Dave, where are you heading? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of looks at me, <laughs> going to HR. Oh, really? You too, huh? Yeah. What a coincidence. Wow. <laughs> but I saved myself from the walk of shame. Yes. You know, I just yeah. I just was able to go, yeah, I know. I'm out. See ya. A lot to be said for self-awareness. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, quick question for you guys. Do you feel that Indiana as a whole is more of a challenge for some of these things? We've got a lot of large, large companies, a lot of small companies. There's not a lot in between there. Um, what do you, do you feel that Indiana's behind the ball, in front of the ball, under the ball, getting stomped on? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, well, one thing I'll say first off is that we love working with organizations in Indiana mm -hmm. because I think um, there is, and we've met with several recently, there is generally a, a very heightened sense of awareness that people are important and talent's important. Now, with the big challenges for Indiana, as you spoke, we've got several large corporations here, uh, some of them very well known for their culture, um, which makes it very difficult to compete for that talent. And so I think there's a lot of openness. I mean, my sense is there's a lot of openness to the conversation. There are a lot of people trying to do things, um, but there's definitely a war for really top talent here. So, um, which puts a additional pressure 
on organizations to really deliver on that culture when they say, hey, we have it, but it's a living, breathing thing here. It's not just superficial. Yeah. Um, it's really important. So I don't know what thoughts you would well, have I think on we're that. Heading into a, we're heading into a great employee market too. Yes. And that's where yeah. uh, if, if a company just isn't taking care of their employees, yeah. watch out because right. you know, especially, you know, God forbid, <laughs> God forbid it would be the greatest thing in the world. But if Amazon moves yes. it down, right. there's just yeah. going to be a giant sucking sound for you yes. know, uh, six months. And, and every great employee is, is going to wind up going to work there because you know, mm-hmm. they, they're established. The, the culture is established. People know, you know, what they're in for when they get there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's right. And, and, and to, to me, um, and it's, it's easy to say, hard to do. But for leadership, you know, the time for folks to do that is when you don't necessarily need it, right? right. So yeah. you want to invest in your culture. Uh, it's maybe hard to do that if you don't see an issue or a problem. But the truth is it becomes a bit of a defensive mechanism. And we hear, you know, Salesforce, awesome corporate citizen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love yeah. their presence in Indiana. I think it's it's a, it's a success story on so many levels. But I can tell you all kinds of organizations we run into who have lost great talent to them, right? Yeah, sure. And wondering what could we have done differently, mm-hmm. right? After the fact, unfortunately. Right. And um, um, so that, I think, is just going to ratchet up. Mm-hmm. It's going to get harder. Are you, are you seeing, uh, you know, the great thing about this is seeing the science behind this and everything and folks like you getting the word out. Uh, I feel like that that's great because we, we might start getting ahead of, the, ahead of this, but you know, in the United States, we really do have a huge problem with like employees spending, what is the average two, three years at a company before, you know, where other countries are eight, 10 years, you know, and we, and we don't even, we don't even provide our employees enough time to see, to realize what their potential is a lot of times, you know, in this country. Um, do you think that, you know, uh, of, uh, you guys are optimists, so I'm sure you're going to say yes, but, um, you know, are, are we start, are, 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 you know, let's say, let's say this, uh, with the Gallup poll in, in, in the last 10 years, let's say, is it changing? Are we seeing more of a percentage of large companies paying more attention to this? I think it, what's interesting in the Gallup statistics is, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but in the last decade, it's really stayed very flat in oh, terms of the level of engagement. That makes there me are mad. people trying. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of theories about it, but I think there are people who are much more aware yeah. of its importance, but I just don't think they're getting at the heart of what will make a difference. And that's where we, we kind of talked about, and it's been openly kind of written about, even in some of the large corporations in the U.S., because you said, you know, this is a, it's a U.S. problem, that there, there needs to be a revolution in management, in how we do things, how we work with people, because the future of work looks different, will look drastically different than it does right now. And so we have to respond to that, but we have to be as proactive as we can. So I think there's more awareness, and the last 10 years really hasn't shown a lot of movement, but I, yes, we are optimists, so I am hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, you, you heard it here first. Diana is calling for a revolution in management. <laughs> I, think it's a, okay, I like it, Diana. Evolution. Oh, we get pitchforks. And, with it. That's I right. Get the pitchforks. Yeah. Pitchforks. No, well, I, I, I do like think revolution. it's, I mean, if, if, I like it. if employees knew that they could stick around for 10 years and yeah. really see see through their vision of their future and opportunity and everything else it would be great 
in the reverse, I, I think we have a, on the management side, I think we have a problem where, um, you know, we, it's, it's, it's a ground up with our school system, right? Yeah. Negative marks, negative marks, yeah. negative marks. We're always, uh, I always tell people like, um, to me, the job of a manager isn't to tell you what you're doing wrong or what you're bad at. Right. Their job is to figure out what you're great at and, and steer you in, in that direction, you know? And so I feel like we have two combating pieces that are maybe keeping that flat. And that's that we have, we have employees going, you're not going to give me a chance. And then we have employers going, you're not, you're not really good at this, yeah. you know, <laughs> or investing in the wrong areas, those satisfaction things we talked about, you know, it's staggering that engagement is virtually unchanged for over a decade yeah. with the millions, hundreds of millions, probably to this point, billions of dollars invested in it. So, so I think a good segue to the conversation would be, David and Diane, what would be one or two very practical things that a business leader could do on their own, knowing that, you know, li having listened to everything yeah. that's been said up to this point, and they, you know, have, y you've... Uh, provoke them to do to do something <laughs> yes. that's right what, what first is read glassdoor.com right so what would be yeah. what would be one or two things yeah. of a practical nature they could sure. get started Absolutely. on and the follow-up would be at what point might somebody need some more professional help like you m might bring yeah well, I'll take a swing at a couple of easy things. Diane, you can, you can uh, clean up what I mess up. But, um, uh, you know, the first thing I would say is, look, there's so much written and there's so much great work out there. The body of work on engagement is outstanding and it's all available. So for me, like a profound book uh, was First Break All the Rules. And to me, that like lays out the whole value proposition of why this is so impactful. And it also lays out that the things that you do to, to improve it aren't that dramatic. They're kind of straightforward. I'm not saying they're easy, but they're kind of straightforward. So that's one. Two, you gotta find, you gotta measure it somehow. Mm -hmm. Okay, and there's all kinds of tools out there to measure engagement, and you can go even get Gallup's tools online and measure engagement on your own for like you know 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. Okay, so that's at the basic level. Understand what it is, why it's important. Get a beat on what it is, and start a dialogue around it. Right? It's very organic. It doesn't have to be rocket science, um, but to me, that's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, less than a thousand bucks invested, right? right? And some time and effort. Right, right. And then uh, one thing I would add to that, because um, it kind of speaks to what we talked about earlier in terms of leaders being in touch with what's going on in the, in the trenches, so to speak. I would say pull out your performance development process. Just look at it. Think about, are your managers having conversations that are future focused? Or what's the substance of an annual performance review? Is it all about fixing those things, that those weaknesses, you know, and kind of just giving lip service to the strengths? Right. Um, are you proactively working with the employees to really focus in their areas of natural talent and strength. And do you have them, you know, are you talking about that? Do, with do your you even employees? know what they are? Right. And <laughs> yeah. do you even know what they That's are? Right. So those are little indicators that, you know, when we talk with the organizations, that gives us real, really uh, 
very quick insight into you know, kind of how in touch or how forward looking are they in this process? Because when we talk about the future of work, all of those things are important, that it's future focused, that it's talent based and strength based and, and that there is that coaching element. And so if you're not there, that's when I would say, okay, let's start digging into this a little bit deeper and, and how can we maybe shift it a little bit? I want to, I want to bring a, uh, so Canvas here in town is a, a client, so I got to disclose that first, but um, they, we did a infographic, it was the top HR technologies, yeah. and one of those technologies was real-time feedback, yes. so mm -hmm. instead of the monthly or quarterly yeah. report, it's literally every day as an employee you know exactly where you stand you know and 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 what your roadmap is for success and i think that's a that's really powerful because it it gets that manager <laughs> out of that office right you know and and gets them engaged and i think you mentioned coaching yes. you know yeah. coaching you know that employee's success rather than you know standing standing back between a piece of paper you know yeah. This whole thing, coach versus boss, right? Yeah. Coach is what people want. And I would also say this. If your performance development process or performance management process includes one meeting a year where you tell someone how they did, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... The raise meeting. That's, that's insane, yeah. right? That, where they tell that, you why you didn't get the raise. Broken. Irretrievably <laughs> yes. broken. Can it be fixed? It shouldn't be... A, if you're having feedback and discussion, it should never be a surprise. Right. Right? And... and um, that's got to change. People are used to, we're in an environment now where we can get almost anything on demand, right. uh, but to wait for a year to tell me what I did wrong last week is a real problem. I'll tell a short story to preface a question for you, uh, David and Diane. The story is that I have a friend who's a financial advisor and he frequently has people come to him for help in the expectation <clears throat> that they will be able to uh, make millions um, from my friend. Uh, but when he shows up and they tell him about their financial situation, he finds out they're loaded down with credit card debt, student loans, and <clears throat> so on. And he has to tell them, uh, you need to pay off this debt before I'll be able to, you know, before I, I would be in a position to help you. So give me a call when you've got that done and we'll kind of pick up the conversation. So I'm assuming there might be something analogous for you when when a company comes knocking and, and says, we need help with uh, our culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's directly analogous, but but it is something that you made me me think about. So I'll share it, and then I'll, I'll have Dave uh, share his thoughts. So it is not uncommon for someone to come to us and say, "We want you to help with our culture, and we want you to do that by coming in and you know giving a presentation or doing a one day event." And Tell her employees what to do. Yeah. Yes. Work, work with and those then, other people. Yeah. Right, exactly. So so there are two elements of that that um, we hone in on. One is that uh, we can only help an organization be successful if the leader is part of the process and the leader is all in and engaged in the process. And so we, throughout our, you know, uh, contracting, if you will, or throughout the, the process that we go through and learning about an organization, we ask a lot of questions about that because we 
we don't, our um, intention is never to come in and have something be consultant dependent. We want to really work with an organization to build things into the fabric of their firm and have it be self-sustainable. And so that, that sustainability is the other piece. So it requires leadership. It requires that championship inside the organization. But at the same time, it also requires a commitment to be all in for the whole term that it takes. So culture change doesn't happen in an event and it doesn't happen overnight. It is, it is a process that happens over time. So it is something that, and it doesn't mean that we're embedded for a year or two years, that's not it at all. Um, we provide tools and resources, but we have to feel like they are committed to making that change sustainable. And so if we don't see that, we'll be the first ones. We just had this conversation with an organization about a week ago where they were questioning. They said, you know what? I'm not really sure if all of us as leaders are all in or that we're all on the same page. And we said, that's it's great that you have that self-awareness. We wouldn't make the investment if we were in, in your shoes because you have to be on the same page. You have to be all in and you have to believe it's the right thing for you. And so that's kind of, yeah. I would just say there's no shortcut, but have you been reading my bio, Harry? Is that where you, because, you know, I started out in financial services and the situation you describe is all too common. So um, it brings back some fond memories. Well, the time has gone quickly. This has been a lot of fun. Um, any final thoughts that uh, you'd want to share with us? Maybe there's a good question we never got around to asking you. Anything else you'd like to share with us, Diane? Um, let's see. I don't think so. Uh, I, well, I don't know that I ever answered Ryan's question about the favorite vertical to work in. Um, and I would say that it's not necessarily a favorite vertical. My favorite client on the other end of the phone is an enlightened, an enlightened client or an enlightened organization with that leadership that we can really sense. That's when we get excited. Um, and in talking with those types of organizations and we see that in a lot of different verticals. So, but it's definitely something we look for. Excellent. My last thought would be if you want to develop a competitive advantage in your company, one of the best things you can do is develop it within having a strong culture. Mm -hmm. That's a way to differentiate yourself. Product, serves, all those things are great. Develop a competitive advantage with your culture. Intentionally focus on it, invest in it. It'll pay off. All right, great. Well, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure having you. And uh, if somebody wants to find out more about Arcos Advisors, how would they find you? Uh, they could go on our website at arcosadvisors.com. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks again. If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review. Off the Circle is recorded at DK New Media's podcast studio at the Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis. Thank you.